0: Where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello, welcome to our review, this time season
1: six. It's flew by, hasn't it, James? It, it, season six already?
0: We're a little over halfway through Cheers, but it feels like we're going through it like a diesel train going to set this <laughs> house alight. Is that out in John? I feel it's out in John. What, the, the diesel train? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Saturday night's all right
1: for fighting. I don't know, but I, I would never associate diesel train with <laughs> You weren't
0: expecting that audience, were you? Going to kick it off with an out in John quote.
1: I tell you what, though, in many ways, though, season six, almost like a, a soft reboot.
0: Yes, and I think that's what the creators were going for in a lot of ways, which we'll dissect.
1: But yeah, so it's, it's kept it fresh this season. We've got some new characters to talk about, some returning characters to talk about.
0: But yeah, I mean, what was your opinion of the season overall, James? Very good. I think there was a shaky or stilted intro to Rebecca, and one of the producers uh, talked about how, when she first came in, they were unsure exactly who the character was. They realised that though she posed a threat uh, and though she posed troubles for Sam particularly, she wasn't the funniest character, which is no slight on Kirsty Alley. It just was difficult to have a corporate figure as a humorous character.
1: I think, I think I really enjoyed the season as well. I think her as an additional character sort of rejuvenated and re- redirected the series mm. a lot. I think it was a really consistent
0: series. It was. And I think from episode six onwards, it really hit its stride. Mm. I think once we saw what was behind the corporate facade of mm. Rebecca, then it became a great ensemble show.
1: Mm. And we'll get into this more as we go on. I think when you compare it to season five, you can't really compare them. Oh yeah, very different. Yeah, Season five was sort of the end of the era and this had to set up so much more. So I don't think it got, Quite to the point of uh, quite to the same emotive points as the last season, but it never could really, I guess.
0: No, and I think what the finale told us, and we'll we'll go into this because I think there's a point later in this episode where we can dissect the finale particularly. But what the finale showed us was that it was very much a Rebecca season. It was showing us the character Mm. of Rebecca in this corporate environment, and you and I have both noticed throughout the season that. The main antagonist of sorts is the corporate suits, but by Mm. extension, Evan Drake and, and everything there. And I think this season was told through Rebecca's eyes in a lot of ways.
1: I definitely agree with that. I mean, should we start having a little bit of a recap of the story arcs of different characters?
0: Yes. Should I talk about some behind the scenes and perhaps some viewing figures? Oh, okay. That sounds like a lovely, lovely place to start. As we've said, Sam was rewritten to an extent uh, to a goof off. So he was, I guess, reset to a season one, Sam, Mm -hmm. would you say? And this was to provide a more ensemble show. And because both Burroughs and the Charles brothers thought that they wanted to make it more about the bar and less about the Sam-Diane relationship going forward. I think it was a good choice. Yeah, I'd agree.
1: I think especially when you kind of, you consider what episode one tried to do.
0: Yeah, the I'm Spartacus type deal with the screaming Viking. But
1: almost home is the sailor where it sort of brought Sam back to the bar where he says he was worried he was going to see Diane everywhere and was relieved when he saw new things. And that's a little bit meta, I guess, because it kind of reset the whole story a bit and kind of said, we're not going to linger on this too much. We're going to move this character forward and he's going to move forward with life, even though he's in the same position or physical place
0: yes it also reminds me of the song uh, brandy by looking glass <laughs> you know you know the one i'm speaking i know of. i've seen guardians yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> where it's uh, talking about sailors going around dropping off in bars or pubs or whatever and meeting uh, these women but his true love is the sea and you know how i love cheers <laughs> uh, maritime themes, <laughs> melville's you know that's something that
1: we've lost this season. Corporate corporate stiffs come in and we lost all the sort of maritime bits.
0: We never <laughs> found them as much this time. <laughs> B plus needs more maritime. <laughs> I need more nautical themed episodes. Because of a 1988 WGA, Writers Guild of America strike, the cliffhanger of this season was removed. As a result, we got a Rebecca heavy season finale. And I think because we haven't gone much into uh, the season review yet, we'll talk more about what the finale was going to be because it was quite a heavy season finale. Mm. And even if there wasn't a strike, I think they would have scrapped it because basically it, reading about it, it was a difficult idea to pull off in a comedy in 1988.
1: I do think it would be difficult to pull off in a comedy no matter
0: when. This is true, but particularly, particularly then. Yeah. So what were the viewing figures like, James? First aired with 21 million households watching, which is good. Mm-hmm. In the in the UK, that's that's amazing. In the US, <laughs> woof, what does that mean? Um Andy Ackerman won an Emmy for Outstanding Editing for Multi-Canvas Series for Episode 24, The Big Kiss Off. He was also one of the directors this series. He got a few directors this series, which was mm-hmm. interesting. Show was nominated for Outstanding Comedy Series. All the cast, except B.B. Newirth were nominated for either lead or supporting performances. Criminal. <laughs> you all get an award, except you, B.B. No, you all might get an award, except for me. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 7, The Last Angry Mailman, was nominated for Outstanding Sound Mixing in a comedy series. Home is the Sailor was nominated for Outstanding Writing, and the finale... Earned James Burroughs a nomination for Outstanding Directing. The reviews are in as well. Ron Weiskind of the Pittsburgh Post Gazette praised Kirstie Alley's performance and the fresh start this season brought. He did, however, think the season lacked energy and spark and was particularly critical of the two parter Little Carla Happy at Last, calling it slipshod and flat. I think he needs to rein it in a bit there, Ron.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, uh... I. It's a hard one. I get his thing. He also said that the performances were indifferent and it was
0: sagging in direction. bit harsh. I think he needs to have it in a bit. I think he was a big Shelley Long fan. I hate this. I hate this season. That's not Diane.
1: Also, to say it was sagging in direction, to commit to two characters being married for the rest of the series, that seems like they're sort of committed to a direction of you. Yeah,
0: well... I don't know if the producer of the show have said this, but once a character gets married, it almost becomes as though drama needs to be forcibly generated. And mm-hmm. there's a sitcom in the UK, which was a key example of this, uh, Gavin and Stacey, where it's a rom-com basically, but it's a rom-com across country borders, right? And the whole first series is that they met online and they haven't actually met, and the series ends with them being married. And for the next three series, it seems like they're trying to create drama because the main arc of the story is a, is effectively done for the main couple there.
1: I think that's where you, you, you play that dynamic off with random other characters. I say random, just wildly insane other characters. Like
0: Cliff. <laughs> exactly. Jeffrey Robinson or DVD Talk gave the season four out of five stars. I'd give a similar amount there. He particularly liked the chemistry between Frasier and Lilith and how Rebecca interacted with the incumbent cast members. Ion Sports was his favourite episode and he found the season delightful and entertaining. I think Jeff needs to have a word with Ron.
1: <laughs> Isn't that a
0: bar fight? <laughs> well, it is now. David Johnson of DVD Verdict called this season. Great, and gave the acting in this season ninety five percent, and the season overall eighty five percent. I like David because <laughs> because he quantifies the, the things within five percent. <laughs> <laughs> acting ninety five percent, ninety six point two percent. Interestingly, he praised the bar scenes but found scenes outside dull. I found this an interesting comparison because I hadn't really separated them. In that regard. I'm not sure if I would agree with that. I feel like some of the best scenes of this
1: season, some of them took place out of the bar. Like Yacht of Fools. Great episode. Most of
0: that was outside the bar, huh? Yeah. It was all in a boat. <laughs> well, <I> lot <love> of it. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's on a boat. Maybe there was quite a bit of nautical bits. Total Film gave this season four out of five stars. Todd Fuller of Sitcoms Online praised Kirsty Alley's performance, chemistry with Danson and consistency of writing, despite the cast changes. Yes. Mm. I would praise that too. <laughs> Clifford Wheatley of IGN in 2014 ranked Bar Wars 7th and Home is the Sailor 2nd of his Top 10 Cheers episodes. So that's the reviews. I think I'd agree with most of them, except Vaughn. Yeah, I think so as well. i pretty much agree with them. I think Ion Sports, flagged by uh,
1: Jeffrey Jeffrey Robinson. Ion Sports, I think that was probably one of my top ones. We'll get into our top rankings later, I'm sure. But I think that was definitely... Up there. Home is the Sailor was definitely up there for me as well. to say it was up there for me, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think overall I'd agree with this. I think Re- Rebecca as an addition, Kirstie Alley's performance was really good. And I agree with Jeffrey Robinson saying that uh, B.B. Neweth and, I was going to say B.B. Neweth and, and Fraser, but Kelsey Graham and B.B. Neuweth's episodes were really good. And I think that's why I, I said it was criminal she didn't get the nomination, because I think her role as a supporting actor throughout this season was so much more, and she'd done so much more than other seasons as well. And she added... A lot of great scenes with Rebecca
0: and things like that. Bibi Neuwis pulled it out of the bag this season. And if she doesn't get upgraded to uh, at least supporting cast, then well, I'd be disappointed. Because <laughs> they're married now, Frasier and Lilith, so maybe she'll stop by more. I hope so,
1: because I think she's her, their two roles are probably one of the most interesting dynamics in the bar at the moment.
0: Oh yeah, and I think they made the right choice in not marrying Sam and Diane but marrying uh, Frasier and Lilith, because mm. Frasier and Lilith as a couple, a bit fish out of water, much more highbrow than the <laughs> usual clientele at, at Cheers. And they delight in each other's company, but they also freely insult each other. Yeah, I think I think they're definitely up there as the, the ones to
1: watch for the next season. I hope they get more screen time. I say this every time we do review a season. I hope we get more
0: more of both of them the story arcs. We spoke about Frasier, is his marriage. That's the story arc for Frasier this season, basically. Norm got a new career. This was interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think he definitely had a, probably one of the more meaningful arcs of this season, where he became slightly more happy in life, I guess. And he found that through picking
0: up a new career of painting or painting and decorating. Yeah. And he embraced the creativity and and sometimes chaos which came (laughs) with this uh, new job and said in Paint Your Office that what he enjoyed about painting was he saw a finished product and it was something that he done. It was something which he was able to put individuality upon, Mm -hmm. much more so than accounting, which the numbers are numbers, you know, and any creative accounting you do is Sometimes frowned upon <laughs> and sometimes illegal. But creative painting is fine.
1: Yeah, and I think I think him and other characters lean into this kind of career-driven arc. And there's normally, and we'll get on to Cliff probably next, Cliff seems to be very sort of classist in this season and very looking down on labourers, if that makes sense. So he, he kind of frowns upon Norm's arc of becoming a painter and decorator and
0: mocks him for this. I have a theory behind this. I'm going to get my sociologist hat on for this is what I'm going to do. I think Cliff's, as you say, classism, I just say disdain for other professions, uh, painters, window washers, I think it's because he's projecting. Because early in the season, his house was knocked down to make way for a mall, right? And I think he has some resentment about being a government employee because a big corporation has destroyed his house mm. and i think he's projecting this resentment onto others who work in vocational professions mm. self-employed people self-employed i i think he yeah is projecting secretly he'd like to be an independent mailman <laughs> if, there, if there is such a thing uh, a courier a courier yes like a courier career yeah
1: Could you imagine, uh, what's what's the film with Joseph Gordon-Levitt where he's a courier and he has to get across town on a bike? I can't remember, but it's like a high-speed action film. I can imagine Cliff doing that on a bike. You mentioned that Cliff's house gets demolished or his family home gets demolished in this season, which sort of projects him into this world of getting his own complex or own flat in a complex or apartment. Yeah, which was interesting. It drives him to be a bit more independent and a bit less reliant
0: on his uh, ma. It does, yeah, uh, for better and for worse. Thing is, I think this condo he moves into, it feels very yuppie, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, he's trying to reclaim some youth, I think. Yeah, because he's, what, mid-30s, is he? Uh, I think if I lived in that condo and I saw this this (laughs) mustachioed mailman coming around going, you know, it's a little-known fact (laughs) that condominium comes from the Latin for, I'd be like, Jesus, (laughs) who is this guy? (laughs) You know? Well, I suppose that's that's
1: probably the the biggest thing that happens to him this season, is he does move into that complex. Uh, But we also get to see him dating a bit more successfully this season. Yeah. I said a bit more successfully. He has a date. Um, And he gets a bit more grounded in the season. That is up until the point when he chases his rival on a plane to get to
0: Disneyland. Throwing soup at them. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to reclaim that youth. It's not the craziest thing, Cliffstone. I think... The craziest thing he's done it goes, does this turnip look like the spitting image of Richard (laughs) Milhouse Nixon? (laughs) I'm glad we've moved past
1: that era of Cliff. (laughs) Let's talk about Carla and Eddie Lebeck, because they had quite
0: an arc in this series. Carla, a lot happened with Carla this season. She got married, she birthed twins, and she's expecting grandchildren.
1: Yeah. All of this whilst believing she'd be cursed after the wedding. Yeah, she did all right. Yeah. (laughs) Eddie gets a new job as a uh, ice skating penguin.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Carla overcomes her fear of flying. She does, which she did surprisingly easily. Much thanks to Frasier venting his inner John Lithgow, which is a nice touch considering, you know, John Lithgow originally wanted the Frasier role. You'll know this. When was the Twilight Zone movie released? 1983. Oh, so that's a kind of nice reference given (laughs) John Lithgow's role in. The trial zone movie came out prior to this episode. I tell you what, Woody has quite
1: a series. He's he's starting to branch out his uh, his talents a bit, and it's a series
0: of him trying to become a little bit of an actor. He is an actor. Yes. <laughs> Which I again, it's it's interesting because as of yet, Woody Harrelson's the only Oscar nominated Cheers actor, isn't he? Yeah, I believe so. Out of the core core group. Yeah, for three billboards. Yeah, I think that was interesting seeing this. I loved his Mark Twain get up, mm. uh, which if you listen to, I heard you, uh, Troy <laughs> kept thinking was Colonel Sanders.
1: <laughs> it was definitely a bit of a series of a sort of a coming of age for what I'd say. In quite a few episodes, he also uh, challenged Sam a bit more and tried to challenge his position in the bar as not being the low ranked bartender. Yeah, (laughs) I got a title. The fact that Sam's come in now after him makes him feel a bit more on par with him.
0: Yeah, the fact that Sam left while Woody was still there. Yeah, yeah. and God created Woodman, saw
1: Woody sort of get quite chummy with corporate stiffs. It didn't last because they were all very drunk, but (laughs) (laughs) you got to see him kind of play both sides of this thing. And you do see him sort of growing up a bit within this series, I'd say.
0: I'd say so, and I think... It's interesting what you say with Sam, because I think in prior seasons, Sam took on almost a fatherly role in a a lot of episodes. I think in this one, it was a lot closer to brothers Were able to give as good as they could take in this episode. One of my favorite exchanges, although it's a weird exchange, is after Rebecca pranks them and they accidentally kiss each other, Sam uh, freaks out and Woody's like, Sam, I didn't enjoy it. It was not on purpose. (laughs) But how was I? (laughs) And and the fact that Woody just plays on Sam's insecurities. (laughs) I I like that scene because it was just seeing Sam squirm. (laughs) And I think that was quite, that
1: that was episode 24, wasn't it? The big kiss off. And I think that was one of the standout episodes of the season. But
0: you've mentioned Sam. So should we talk about Sam's arc through this season? Yeah, interestingly, Sam tried to get the girl but got a friend instead. Yeah,
1: which I think is a really interesting dynamic. You, you said that they made him a bit more goofy for this season and felt like they could play a bit more with him as a, a comedic character rather than a straight man to uh, Diane's character. And I think that shows, and I think he's a lot more, probably a
0: lot more likable in this series. Yes, I. it's an interesting one because I think, I think there was some regression, not in terms of writing, but in Mm. terms of maturity of of character, in that he did go back to season one, Sam, when Mm. he became a lot more back to his uh, womanizing ways, and he became, well, as you said, it was a soft reboot. He was chasing the girl, but in the meantime, getting with anyone who was willing. And Mm. in terms of how he developed in the previous five seasons, the Diane years, you saw him more willing and more comfortable with making a long-term commitment in this season he doesn't seem to even be considering it Mm. so it's interesting that he was able to gain a friend and i think uh, it kind of goes a little bit back to
1: i can't i can't remember the episode now James. but diane says something to sam along the lines of you've never had a meaningful friendship with a female before and it feels like this series and probably maybe throughout might kind of prove that wrong maybe Or build that. But something Sam explores in this episode is, again, careers. He has quite a few.
0: Yeah, other than bartender at Chews, he is briefly a sales exec of some kind. He's also a TV presenter at some point. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. He goes through quite a few. But it does feel like he's uh, trying to prove something, I guess. Especially in uh, Sam in the grey flannel suit.
0: Yes, and that I I like that episode. I thought it was a very interesting one because it brought the idea of corporate villainhood to a head. Hmm. It 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 put a face to the corporate threat, which was interesting.
1: I think that was something which was quite interesting through the series as well, watching it all chronologically as it came out. Evan Drake begins as quite a charming character who's quite likable. And then by the end, he's referred to as basically, let's sleep in snakes lie, you know? He's, he's a snake. But that, that is the, the pun, isn't it? Let's sleep in snakes lie. It's dogs. Let's sleep in dogs lie. <laughs> is it? I thought it was sna- snakes.
0: I'm fact-checking this. Oh, it is dogs. <laughs> but Drake is also an animal. <laughs> did, did you know this? <laughs> yeah, no, you're right that it does become a, very much a, a snake, and it is that superficial charm and i mentioned it a couple of times this season but there was almost an Elysian bend to a lot of the stories in this season you know um, in terms of brett easton ellis uh, he who wrote about a lot of the hedonism during the 1980s with things such as american psycho and the mm-hmm. informers and things like this and i think Aaron drake was a charming character but he did have this superficial Elysian charm where underneath it was about I don't want to say greed but having that influence and power is what is what Mm. drove him more than anything else. So he was quite a uh, quite a selfish perspective on things. Yeah and I think a pragmatist in a lot of ways where He maintained friendships with people for business reasons more than anything else. Mm. I think I I, li- I still like him as a character, and I think that is a large part due to Tom Skerritt as a performer, mm. where he's able to exude this charm in a lot of roles.
1: And I suppose the the final characters talk about James is Rebecca, who, as we've said, is sort of sort of takes the main sort of lead through this season, especially with the final
0: ending and resolving part of her story. Yeah. And I think we'll talk about that finale and what the finale would have been after we mentioned Rebecca here, because Rebecca, she was trying to prove herself in this Mm. world, both in a romantic and corporate sense. And it was worth noting all of the senior members of the Lillian Corporation are men, which is one, a sign of the times, but also very much representative of Rebecca's struggles in both of those worlds.
1: And I think something which is quite sort of clear within her character is she's pining over Evan Drake, who is her boss. So this idea of her career and romantic life becomes weirdly intertwined, where she thinks if she does well in her job, it will lead to success in her relationship as well, which has this weird sort of distorted, career-driven
0: aspect to her character. Yes. Yes. I think Rebecca, as a character, was Evan Drake in reverse, At first we saw her as this, as this corporate shell, but as Mm -hmm. the season went on, we empathised with her more and we understood her more Mm -hmm. Uh, and we saw her vulnerability, uh, particularly in, as I say, that heartbreaking scene in the finale there, which I think we best talk about because we've alluded to it enough times. I'll tell you what,
1: if you don't mind, I've got like three episodes which sort of tie over Rebecca's sort of arc. I feel like a big part of her season was sort of taking away that corporate mentality and actually getting friends along the way. And I think the first big sort of indicator of this was in Paint Your Office, where she actually makes her first sort of friend in the bar in Norm, and they have quite a good heart to heart. And then in episode 22, Slumber Party Massacre, she gets this sort of... Connection with Carla, which is previously built up in other episodes. I think like the last Angry Man when she has sort of a back and forth with Carla, and then in the big kiss of her and Carla come together to get one over on the rest, and then it's backseat bed key
0: up front where we finally see her make a friend out of Sam. I like no, that's a good quadrilogy of episodes there, particularly that she's made friends with Carla because Carla hated her at the start. Carla compared her to a Nazi, didn't she? She did. She did the walk and everything. (laughs) (laughs) woo <laughs> um don't, don't but, mention the war james no that wasn't an excited woo that was a uh, the, the classic uh, the classic faulty towers line don't mention it once and i think i got away with it <laughs> carla frequently compares her to a nazi and rebecca's just like oh you you know i'm not a nazi no <laughs> what are you like yeah now that you put those episodes together like that i think that is a good Quadrilogy, and i now that you've said it, I'd recommend listeners to watch those episodes in sequence uh, as a quadrilogy because, yeah, mm. good work there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> a gold star, maybe? Yeah, <laughs> put on my sticker chart. Um, you,
0: you, you get a free pint, is what? You- <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, so the final episode really does bring a lot of her arc to head when. Evan Drake's leaving to go to Tokyo, and it means that she has to try and confess her love in a condensed period of time in an episode.
0: And in the limo, which that scene is is difficult to watch. Uh, mm. Because the situation she's in is not just her romantic feelings, but as you said, it's intertwined with her wanting to do well in her job. So she's driving, for argument's sake, the love of her life, to a place where she'll never see him again. And she's torn between trying to confess her love for him and trying to let him go off with someone else. It's almost got a Casablanca feel to it. Mm. Yeah, I put this in some of my one of my lowest lows of the season. This
1: point because she she breaks down crying, then crashes the limo, which then leads to uh, Sam coming to comfort her at her apartment later.
0: Yeah, oh, for me, it was the limo scene was the the lowest low of the of the. Season mm. slightly above that was Carla's wedding, uh, being called off, and Rebecca herself being yelled at by Evan after after kissing him. But no, it was very much a Rebecca season. So I got some other
1: low lowest of lows, which is uh, Sam finding out he's a ringer, uh, which kind of reminded me of um, his wistful look out the window with the rain in previous seasons. Any contemplated age. But another low was uh, when Rebecca was stuck in a cupboard eating some crisps. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I thought that was a pretty low point. I agree. Eating, eating crisps in the closet. <laughs> it's, it's not a situation I aspire to, but the episode in itself, I think she was fine with it. <laughs> but I tell you
1: what, the, after the, the lowest low of the, the limo, it does lead to a high point in her and Sam eventually talking on the phone and connecting as friends. Yes, Uh,
0: which we talked about is is an odd situation because the whole reason it's done over the phone is because Sam doesn't think he can control any urges he might have, Mm -hmm. which isn't the best foundation for a friendship, (laughs) but it's definitely a character progression that he's willing to want to control them, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. He wants to control them, doesn't know if he can. So he's putting the geographical distance between them and comforting over the phone, which is progress, Sam. It's not, it's not perfect, but it's progress. <laughs> what other high points have we had through this season, James? We've got Wade Boggs pants. It was, yeah. <laughs> was a nice one. One of our first big guests this season, along with Robert Urich, which was nice. Frazier and Lilith reconciling at the Cape after Lilith tries to seduce sam uh which was a this is a great episode the gang watching it's a wonderful life was wholesome Mm. and delightful
1: as you say christmas cheers was was one of my episodes up there as a really good
0: one it's just so wholesome i you know I, i think i'll say it i think it is the best christmas episode of any sitcom i've seen bold words but i think i'd
1: agree with that i think there's there's something about it which the way that it goes back to it's a wonderful life at the end makes it quite timeless as well in itself. It's heartwarming.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like someone poured mulled wine over your heart. That's, <laughs> what, the, that's what they've done. Next highest uh, is Sam's return, which was very nice. I think people in the bar loved it, and we loved seeing Sam return, because mm-hmm. we saw, you know, this uh, wall of green, and then we saw <laughs> Sam come in and, you know, make a difference. Frasier proposing to Lilith, I think, was the highest point of this season. I think because we love this couple so much, it was wonderful seeing the exchange where she (laughs) says, yes, my steed, yes.
1: (laughs) I think just some high points that I had as well was in Hourly Bread, the sort of Caribbean night at itches with the dilemma of 66 and 99. And another one that I had was Boggs as well, which was, I thought it was such a great moment to see the bar have to reconcile with the fact they had pantsed Wade Boggs and then find a win out of it. I thought it was a great moment. And I also had little Carla happy at last, her wedding, which finally went ahead and seeing her realise that maybe
0: she isn't cursed after all. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was a lowest low, which would have been even lower than Rebecca driving the limo, but it was an episode that was scrapped. Do you think it's time to talk about the controversial would-be finale? Yeah, I think I think we can get into that now, James. It's a it's a tough one, isn't it? How do we broach this subject in a light-hearted podcast? Basically, I think for some context. We all know Sam's a a sexual compulsive basically, and what the finale was going to be as a cliffhanger was an AIDS scare, and this was 88. So, I can see why even without the writers' strike they chose not to do this episode. Uh, and Charles Brothers even said the seriousness of the storyline was too serious to draw any comedy from. Uh, and it got to rehearsals. Yeah, that's what i say. Yeah. In writing, they thought this is good. But in, in rehearsals, I assume, given the time it was, the cast had on their minds, how do we make this funny? Because it's a very serious subject, still is you know. Mm. I think Chiz has always been sort of at the forefront of conversations,
1: you know, especially in season one. I don't think they were as much in this season at tackling difficult conversations. But I suppose when we talked to Ken Levine in that interview a while back, he said that in the in the early days, it was much easier to challenge things because there weren't many expectations and to challenge things, you, uh, you got a bit of a voice and you were able to play with things more.
0: Yeah. And you could play with the characters because you hadn't had the characters decided yet. Mm. And... You could take those risks in the in the first season. I think uh, w- with this season
1: as well, I think that the finale of Backseat Becky up front, I think was the the right call just with the characters and the flow of the season at the moment. And to conclude her story and sort of set up a dynamic moving forward, I think, yeah, it, w- it would have been very risky to go with the, the other way. And I think, I don't know how they would have concluded the other end of that in the beginning of the next season. As
0: a season seven premiere, they probably would have just had to brush it away very quickly. Hmm. Sam celebrating and you know, negative result basically. Because I don't I don't know how they would have been able to do a part two <laughs> to that, to be honest. But definitely backseat Becky, I think, was the right choice for a finale because it was very much Rebecca's season.
1: Hmm. I don't know, James. Should we talk about our, our top episodes through this season?
0: Yes. How many are we doing? Top three, top five, what are we doing?
1: Let's go for five. But I want to put a caveat at the beginning that I said early on that I thought this was a really consistent season,
0: which made it really hard. It it was, there was, yeah, I'm looking at all 25 episodes here. It was very, very, it was very difficult to, to get them. There were no episodes, which I say I found irritating. I think episodes in the past we found plot Hmm. holes or faults with. uh, None of the episodes here I've found irritating. As such, and there were a few standouts. I think, yeah, my top five were, were standouts. Other twenty were fairly similar and were all at least quite
1: good. So I, I've got to say, like, I mean, I'll list off my my ten to six really quickly because there are some really good ones in that That honorable mentions, <laughs> honorable mentions, because honestly, they could have they could have been in the top top five on a different day. Probably would have been, but I put Bar Wars at number ten. Bidden on the boys at number nine, eight, All the Girls I of Before, uh, seven, Backseat Becky up front, and six, Home is the Sailor.
0: So I've got some really good ones in. Yeah. Should I do my top ten to six? Yeah. I've got number ten, Little Carla Happy at Last Part 2, number nine, Yacht of Fools, number eight, A Kiss is Still a Kiss, number seven, The Crane Mutiny, and number six, Bar Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it
1: shows just how how like consistent the season works, because you've got ones there which aren't even in my top ten. Wow. Yeah. And and some of yours in there are close to the top for me. So should we should we go to the the five to number ones, James?
0: Yes. Do you want to do your fifth first?
1: My fifth one was Pudding Head Boyd. A really fun episode. I enjoyed that one. That that was number eleven for me. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I (laughs) know. But Yeah, I don't know. I think it's hard to pick an episode out of this, but I just thought Woody's character through this episode was just hilarious. And as Troy put it, the the Colonel Sanders attire. Um, What was your number five, James? My number five was bidding on the boys.
0: Mm. Yeah. Which was my number nine. It's the Frasier-Lilith-Sam triangle in this episode, (laughs) which is what gets me.
1: My number four was Yacht of Fools. Just really loved Evan Drake's character in that. Uh, I think I said earlier, I thought that those
0: scenes were hilarious. The farce in them. It's when we started seeing the, uh, the sleazy side of Evan, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: It's also a point where we saw sort of the first chink of vulnerability in Rebecca. Her and Sam getting on a bit more. And they were both kind of in it
0: together and plotting together about the scenario. Yeah. Number four, whom is the sailor? Mm, really good one. It is a very good one. It was the first first Rebecca episode. It was the first time we saw that aspect of uh, the underdog against, uh, against the corporate suits, really. Mm-hmm. My number three, James, the crane mutiny. A hilarious
1: episode. Frasier and Lilith were hilarious in it as well. But also seeing Frasier uh, get sort of riled up by the bar, I think Rebecca loves him, uh, and then get jitters with Lilith. And then Lilith... Um, rebecca's dynamic as well in that episode It's
0: just yeah that was a great one my number three is another fraser lilith episode to all the girls i've loved before mm-hmm. i think lilith was on point this episode <laughs> her interaction with randy gets me every time <laughs> i'll never hear shock the monkey without crying again my number two james was ion sports Ah, yes, I remember you were a big fan of this one.
1: Yeah, I love just the chaos of of the whole
0: episode, the rapping, the ventriloquism, (laughs) just the whole thing. Number two, I think it's evident from just the emotive payoff, is the finale, Backseat Becky Upfront. That was number two for me. Uh, Just the emotive payoff was outstanding. My number one, James. Christmas Cheers. Well, John, do you want to know something? (laughs) That's my number one too. First time we've agreed.
1: <laughs> I think, yeah, like you say, it was, it was a stand down Christmas sitcom episode,
0: let alone in the season. Yeah, just timeless, really. It is, yeah. I think they managed to take everything that you would want in a, in a Christmas episode of a sitcom and put it in. You got Santa, It's a Wonderful Life, mm-hmm. I forgot to get a gift. Even Frazier being sceptical of it, being the, whole, <laughs> being the Scrooge that episode, it just, every character had something to do, I think. Mm. And it, it's a wonderful episode.
1: <laughs> well, I agree with you there. I agree with you there. I think what is interesting through this series is, like when, when you consider a festive episode of Cheers, it always is the Thanksgiving orphans. And I'm really surprised that Christmas Cheers doesn't get as much attention because, I don't know, I don't know why it doesn't. I think this season doesn't have as many iconic Cheers moments in it,
0: maybe. Yeah, I say I say that's fair. I think the screaming viking is a is an iconic mm. one. The screaming viking uh the the
1: the monkeys the chimps dressed up as the characters I've seen floating on the internet quite a bit. Um well, as as, as NFT. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, Um, but apart from that, I think this and obviously the Bar Wars episode. But apart from that, I think this season goes kind of on in its own right that I haven't seen much of it before, which was full of nice surprises, I'd say, and and things that I wasn't expecting.
0: Yes, uh, and I I think so, and I think that's probably how the audience felt at the time that Mm. with Shelley's departure, there was an apprehension behind behind this season and. I've probably told you that behind-the-scenes story where Kirstie Alley showed up on set on the first day mm-hmm. wearing a blonde wig. <laughs> uh, you know, as as a joke. Mm. <laughs> you know, just in case you in case you didn't get that. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I'd say it's my favorite season. But It's between this and season four, I think. I think it's just very different. Yeah.
1: I you, I've got a list of some poignant moments for
0: this season. Yep. Have you got a, a couple of poignant moments as well? Uh, I've mentioned a few of them. Uh, Rebecca crying while driving, which, you know, mm. you don't cry <laughs> while driving. <laughs> it's not okay. Uh, Carlo, uh, Babushka Carla, basically. Yes. What I've written here. I went one step further with that, and it was uh,
1: Cliff's ripped trousers in that episode that sort of drove her out of that slump. Yeah. And how, uh, no matter how she was feeling, she was able to be picked up by something that made her
0: laugh. I thought that was pretty, pretty good. Pretty good to capture. Laughter's the best medicine, that's what I'm saying. I think you're right. And this season has had a lot of funny moments. But one poignant moment, which wasn't the funniest, but it was Sam talking about his father's pride in his Mm. uh, salesman role. Yeah, I think that's something which uh, there's
1: always been a bit of legacy around what's happened between him and his father and also his brother in that as well. And it was nice to see that come up in this season. I mean, we heard that he reached out to his father for the first time in a
0: while. We never got to see him. Maybe we'll see him in a future episode. Who knows? The Claven photo album was was quite poignant and quite a nice mm. moment. Memories of, of the times that were or something along those lines.
1: The the misty watercolor memories or something like that.
0: yeah. Uh, and I also got the end of uh, to all the girls that
1: of the before and and Fraser overcoming his jitters just as Lilith
0: <laughs> walks in with someone with Randy and <laughs> <I'm> marrying Randy. <laughs> oh, I do, I do like really like that episode. Rebecca describing her childhood, including her time with Grace Slick, mm-hmm. uh, which was which was fun. Carla counting her blessings after her wedding and Eddie. And Eddie being fired, you know, she's like, well, I got, do I have these things? No, but she has a job and she has children and she she just gets on with it. I like this. And you mentioned this before is Sam effectively begging Rebecca for, for a job. Yeah. Which is where the season really sort of started. Exactly. Was in regards to, and God created Woodman. And it's when, Sam and Woody want to be given this bartending position at this fancy function.
1: All right, you know, by not hiring us, what you're doing is you're telling the rest of the world that Sam Malone is not fit for the society of decent folks, that he's incompetent, that he's a clod. Well, what about me, Sam? You too, Woody.
0: <laughs> now, I'm
1: going to tell you something, lady. We may not have come out of Harvard, we may not belong to a yacht club, and we may not have attended bar at a polo tournament. But we know how to do our job, and we do it with dignity and class.
0: <laughs> And I thought this summarised class-corporate divide that was present throughout a lot of this season. It's it's quite a good quote, actually. There's
1: been so much having to prove yourself through this series and the defence on, you know, we we can do our job and
0: we do it well. And, you know, it it was echoed by Norm enjoying painting and taking pride Mm. in painting. We don't know if he was a good accountant. Norm's accounting, he knew what he was doing. He was just apathetic towards it but painting seems to genuinely be uh, something he enjoys. Something else is Carla. Look at my life. I never had a childhood. I married Nick when I was 15. Never got to go to the prom or homecoming, to a slumber party, to Fort Lauderdale on spring break, or on one lousy date with Fabian. <laughs> now I don't even get a middle age. I well, go Straight from grade school to granny. The alliteration alone there is, is good. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's a very poignant quote. And I think it's, we saw Sam, particularly in season four, fearing his age. And I think they both have this fear, this resentment of what are they doing with their life, which, you know, is a big thing for that people have as a midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. They're definitely getting to that. You know, they're 40-ish Kinda of reminds me of the uh,
1: Cliff in this season in Woody for Hire and Norman of the Apes. Cliff says, Hey Normy, do you ever feel like we're getting in a rut here? And then says he means we come in the same bar, sit in the same stools, drink beer night after night, and that there's gotta be more to life. And uh, Norm does reply for the last time he's not gonna change bar stool with <laughs> them. But there is kind of that sense of uh wasting their sort of I'd say youth, but then they're, they're no longer young. Uh, they're not old,
0: they're mid to late like thirties, but it's definitely I mean, I've started to get to this already started feeling that, you know, I'll go all mortar. I'm getting too old for this (laughs) Um, and you know, people around my age, because we've been indoors for two years, not to me, I I don't care that much, but a lot of people our age have feel that they've missed uh, a lot of their youth, you know?
1: Well, I was going to just bring up uh, in response to the quote I said before, in our hourly bread, when they say they might be have to close down the bar, the sort of response is that they're going to lose community, you know, lose the place where they do go to talk to people, to share stories, to sympathize with people, to lend an ear. And that, I mean, in response to you saying about like sort of wasted years that have been lost, kind of brings it a little bit into that, where you can say that the time's been wasted in the bar, but they've got strong friendships and strong relationships and community off the back of it. Well, that's it.
0: Yeah. And we mentioned this in earlier seasons where due to technological advancements, I don't think the bar or the pub is the social space that it once was. You go Mm -hmm. there with people you already know. You don't go there to meet people. Mm. We've perhaps been too simplistic on what the bar is. It's not just drinking, it's as you say, community. And I think community has always been a big aspect of Cheers as a show.
1: And I think within the context of this series as well, it's community for working people, if that makes sense. That's kind of a new perspective that we
0: get in this season. Yeah, it's layers. With mm. each new season of Cheers, there's, <laughs> there's, there's layers. Behind the scenes, John and I send the names of these awards, just the names, to each other <laughs> in advance, and uh, I've got puns in all of them. <laughs> I tried to match you on the puns, but I I
1: didn't. You get can't that. match me on the puns,
0: John. <laughs> As usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. <laughs> Do you want to kick off with the first award, James? It's returnin' sternin'. It's a simple pun, but it's our, <laughs> our favourite Lilith moment. Do you want to hear some nominees? Oh, of course. Uh, the magazine throw in The Crane Mutiny, where she <laughs> knocks Frasier with, with magazines. The cape with Sam bidding on the boys. Mm. Uh, where they walk in with Captain and First Mate t-shirts in Puddin' Head <laughs> Boyd. Her festive greetings in Christmas sh- Cheers. <laughs> <It> was fun. <laughs> Merry Christmas for Liz Navidad, Joel and, well, and Shalom. <laughs> we get to see some of her musical chops. We, we know that Bima Youth herself was in Chicago. We got to see some of her singing when she sang Rolling on the River in Slumber Party Massacred. Big wheel, keep on turning. Proud Mary, keep on burning. Rolling, 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 rolling on the river. <laughs> Can you guess my favourite Lilith moment? It's a specific Line of dialogue. Is it going to be with Randy? It is with Randy.
1: (laughs) I can't remember the exact line, James. I know it's engraved in your brain. She gives herself a title. Oh, uh, what? Is she Princess something?
0: Oh, Dr. Stern, it is a little formal, isn't it? You can call me Sheena, ruler of the jungle of love. (laughs) (laughs) It's the way that Bibi
1: delivers it so deadpan. (laughs) some some would say that's better than the um, nomination (laughs) or that's the winner the only one that didn't get nominated for uh, an actual proper award I think that makes up for it James my first award is uh, for Little White Lie it is the biggest lies of the season (laughs) (laughs) two runners up we've got where uh, Sam and Rebecca are pretending to be dating and they pretend that Julia is Sam's sister in a way to fool Evan Drake in that they'll all then partner off with each other. It's a very strange lie.
0: It's a lie. I don't, I don't understand it. <laughs> well, it didn't win. Yeah.
1: <laughs> then uh, quite a bad lie is uh Sam in the grey flannel suit, Sam's promotion to executive to get him in as a ringer for the baseball company, mm.
0: Shame on you, Evan.
1: That's a dirty lie. I think that one probably hurts the most. You see, you sit on an executive chair of
0: lies.
1: My uh, biggest lie this season, James, is in Let's Sleep in Drake's lie that Norm pretends that he always wanted to carry a rich man across the lawn with an That's audience.
0: nonsense. <laughs> the fact that Evan Drake believed that will forever blow my mind. <laughs> it's- he does check that Norm hasn't had a lobotomy. <laughs> <laughs> He's sceptical. But that is my uh, best lie of the season. Speaking of Evan, my next award is Evan Can Wait. <laughs> the puns get better. It's, it's, you haven't heard the best one yet. Uh, but Evan Can Wait, which is the favourite guest employee of Evan or the Lillian Corporation. You've got Daniel Collier, played by Peter Hansen in And God Created Woman. Mm. Laurie, played by Bobby Eeks in Tale of Two Cuties. Uh, this is, of course, Evan's daughter. Lorenzo, played by Tom Astor in Yacht of Fools. Mimi, played by Pamela Bowen in The Sam in the Grey Flannel Suit. This was Sam's receptionist. Mm. Heppel, played by Vince Howard. Uh, I, I just liked how opinionated Heppel was. <laughs> <laughs> Martin, played by Ron Barker, who was the limo driver. Mm-hmm. And my favourite employee, because they reminded me of Boggs, as in the Chambers employee Boggs, mm-hmm. not not Wade, was Grayson, played by Jay Bell in Let Sleeping Drakes Lie. Oh uh, yeah, was a foil to Norm throughout the whole episode. <laughs> he did
1: have a bit of a, a sort of Boggs vibe about him. I miss Boggs. My next award, James, is quite the promotion. It is the best new job at Cheers this season, or best new job of the character this season. Of course we've got Rebecca coming in as the manager at Cheers. We have Sam as a sales executive. We have Sam as a news anchor on Ion Sports, which was a close winner, I will say. We had the ice skating penguin that is Eddie LeBrec. We had Woody as Mark Twain. <laughs> <laughs> we had Norm as Santa Claus. The winner James of course has to be someone who took up two new positions in one episode of course it's the monkey who became a painter and a mailman (laughs) in this season what an actor when he came in as a painter that made me laugh when he came in as a postal worker at the end of the episode i was rolling along the floor james (laughs) (laughs) and that's where he got the award for uh, quite the promotion the best new job at Cheers.
0: my final award with the best pun and i'm proud of this pun so, you know, it's it's going to be a good one. It's a saving Lebec till last. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, this is why I can never challenge you on the puns. He's too good at them. It's the favourite Eddie interaction uh, mm. in season six. We've got the forced proposal in episode three. His dance with Annie and Annie asking, how's Mrs. Tortelli in bed? Which is a bizarre, bizarre quote. And the fact that he's taken her back, but keeps dancing. Uh, <laughs> His waddle into cheers in episode 19, and the ice show fight in episode 19. But there is, uh, of course, a winner, and I think it's a totally classic. It's the Lebec family dinner. They fight because Annie's pregnant, but mm. he's still talking to Sam about cars, just trying to calm things down. Oh, stereotypical Canadian. Just <laughs> polite, ruthlessly polite. <laughs> Uh, Jay Thomas has had some
1: good moments through this season. He has, yeah. Which actually, uh, he didn't win my next award, James, but my next award is Another Round, uh, the best sort of returning character from previous seasons gone by in a supporting or or sort of reoccurring role. Uh, We have Harry Anderson, who made a good return this time. The last time we saw him was in season two, episode 10, How Do I Love the Let Me Call You Back? Oh yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. He returned in A Kiss Is Still A Kiss for the cold open, which was a great moment. We got Esther Claven, played by Frances Sternhagen, uh, who came back from her last appearance in season five, Money Dearest. This time she was in season six in The Last Angry Mailman. Again, a great episode. I really loved her role. Some other great honourable returns, James. Fred Dreyer uh, coming back as Dave Richards in Ion Sports. Obviously, B.B. Neweth returned. Jay Thomas returned. Uh, Of course, Al Rosen never really left, (laughs) (laughs) but there is a joint award going to Timothy Williams and Amanda or Mandy Imber as Anthony Tortelli and Annie Tortelli. They appeared a few times in this season, but their last appearance before this season was The Groom War Clearousel. They were so iconic that I thought they were in way more. The Groom War's Clearousel was their first episode. In this season, they were in about four, I think. So before this season, they were both in just the, the Green War Claricell. They were my favourite returning characters also. Yes. Yeah, they had some great moments through this and really stood out. I, I'm really disappointed that they're not coming back for more as we had their last episode, Slumber Party Massacre.
0: But if you do want to hear more about the Tortellis and these two, then listen to our review of the Tortellis pilot, which John and I have differing opinions on but you know what that means it means that the discussion was uh, was heated
1: they're such iconic characters and it's i think that's the thing that happens in cheers is some of the one-off characters become so memorable and then they're in probably about three like harry the hat's only been in about three now maybe four spanning like for half a decade something like that yeah he's only been in a handful yeah uh, andy andy only made a couple of appearances but they probably get the same love as the likes of al And that's our final award, James. But yeah, I'd encourage people to watch the Tortellis and have a listen to that conversation on our Patreon as well, because it's a lively one. I've
0: got favourite new actors. It's it's a trick question because the winner of this award, the actor is new. The character, maybe not. Ah. Ah, Interesting. (laughs) Favourite new actors, Sharon Barr as Connie in uh, Bidding on the Boys, mm-hmm. Anne Petoniak as Mary in Puddinghead Boyd, Jane Medine as Tracy in Christmas Cheers, uh, Robert Urich as Robert Urich, Elizabeth Ruscio as Dorothy Greenberg in Slumber Party Massacre, Wade Boggs, Wade Boggs, uh, Wade and- the Pantsless and- Boggs, right? <laughs> well, Wade Pantsless Boggs, yeah, and the winner is Robert Desiderio. This is uh, Gary. New Gary, yeah. New
1: Gary. Robert De Sedario was definitely a standout, and I'm looking forward to the Bar Wars to come.
0: Got some uh, special trivia for us. My first question, a question of research. You'd have needed to do research for this, (laughs) Difficult questions I'm pulling up for the review. How many directors were there this season, and can you name them all? James, it's a good thing I've done my research
1: because I had a similar (laughs) question for you. (laughs) Uh, so, of course, there was James Burroughs. Yeah. There was Thomas LaFaro, yeah. Tim Berry, Andy Ackerman, Michael Zimberg, uh, Cheers, his very own John Ratzenberger, and Cheers, his very own George Went. That's it. My only thing is, I haven't added up how many people that is. <laughs> Seven. Seven. You got them all. 14 points. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good to see John Ratzenberger and George Went take the reins as well. In a similarly spirited question, James, how many episodes did James Burroughs direct this season?
0: I'm going to say 17 and a half. Yeah, I've got 16 and a half.
1: Ah, I was close. (laughs) You were very close. 16 and a half, that was a very good guess. I thought the half was going to catch you up. He co-directed an episode Christmas Cheers with Thomas LaFaro. James, I have a Wade Boggs-infused question. I don't know why I said infused.
0: (laughs) -infused. (laughs) Boggs-infused. Boggs-infused.
1: As recently as three days before recording someone tweeted wade boggs a clip from cheers he just did this string of emojis and if you can guess <laughs> some of the emojis i'll uh, i'll give you some points laughing emoji no
0: oh beer emoji beer emojis in there pants or trousers no <laughs> baseball baseball's in there yeah uh beer baseball I'll put you out your misery, James. This is is an abstract (laughs) question. It's like playing Pictionary. (laughs) It
1: should have said, you should have done your research for this question. Uh, (laughs) He responded with thumbs up, sunglasses, heart eyes, pints, chicken, baseball. (laughs) But to give uh, perhaps a bit more context to this, uh, he was previously quoted as saying, I got pantsed in Bar Wars, the number one rated episode of Cheers all time. I'm very proud of that. Of Wade Boggs is definitely up for some sitcom hijinks, but yeah, really liked his role in this season.
0: Uh, coming in, getting pantsed, leaving. Final call of season six. Ooh. been a long journey, hasn't it? It has. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this season. What should we have as a, as a special? A six pack? Well, I, w- I was going to make the
1: suggestion of perhaps we could go back to where this season began and order a Screaming Viking, but
0: I'm up for suggestions. Uh, Screaming Viking is, I think, the drink of this season. And we'll go for that. Bruise the cucumber. Only slightly.
1: Yeah, I think it's been a really enjoyable season. Really consistent, a really good standard of writing. I don't think that there's been any episodes that I haven't enjoyed. I guess one of the big things at this season is we got to meet Evan Drake, but obviously he took a plane at the end of this episode, James. But we've got a little bonus episode
0: for the fans out there, haven't we? It's about an airport, isn't it? It is. You're all aware of the cheers reverse with the spin-offs and whatnot, but they did a couple of crossovers with wings.
1: Exactly. And, and we're going to be talking about season two, episode two episodes, the story of Joe, which has an appearance of some of uh, the bar's most regular patrons who take a flight somewhere. It does. And
0: then a little tease. I liked it. I
1: also liked it. So that's going to make <laughs>
0: a good conversation. You'll have to listen to the episode to find what we have to say. It's a, it's a bonus episode. Available through Anchor subscription or Spotify subscription or on Patreon. Yeah, check that out.
1: And I suppose that brings us season to a close, James. I've really enjoyed it. It's been good to have a, a sort of refreshed, revamped version of Cheers with Kirsty Alley taking a leading role and sort of getting the, getting the season back to the bar. And on that note, thank you for listening to Where Nobody Knows Your Name. This has been season six.